All right, bradcooney.com, an association with HCN Networks, is honored to have on board Dr. And I'm going to try to get this right, Dr. Sushil Atreya, um, who's a professor of the atmospheric and space science at the University of Michigan. Did I get the name right, sir? Yes, sir. You're doing just well. Very good. Okay, I want to get into this. Um, my website, we've had from time to time some NASA personnel on board. Uh, we usually cover, you know, some politics, some music, different genre. But once in a while, we like to bring in um, folks that are experts on the planet Mars and, and other planets and some space things. And it always does good. We always get more and more readers and listeners when we get into this subject. Um, you are an expert on atmospheric conditions on Mars, and recently the Curiosity rover has some pretty interesting findings when it comes to methane gas. Can you can you touch on that a little bit, and we'll get we'll kick off after that. Uh, this 
Okay, yeah, and that was very good stuff. Um, because I don't think a lot of people realize that methane is a pretty common gas. Um, it's just the rocky planets, which are a little bit interesting. Um, what about the spike that the um, Curiosity detected, the, the, the tenfold spike? Can, can you get into that at all? Sure. Uh, so, you know, right from the beginning, when. Are you hearing some echo? Because I'm hearing a lot of echo. Oh, you, you're fine. You're clear on this side. Okay, good, good. Um, so from the very beginning, when Curiosity got to Mars in August 2012, uh, we began to look for methane, uh, began the search with the TLS, the instrument that I just mentioned. And this is a very high resolving power instrument. That means it can separate out the very tiny signatures of gases like methane. And uh, so in the beginning, we didn't see anything. Uh, but then we devised a new uh, method in which we enriched the sample before sending it to the tunable laser spectrometer, and that's done through the mass spectrometer. So you, you remove the background gases like carbon dioxide, so you're, in effect, you're increasing the proportion of gases which are in a small amount like methane. And by this enrichment technique, we were able to detect a very low background of methane, and that's there all the time. And after that, uh, you know, we continued doing the measurement and saw these spikes that you asked me about. So over a period of about two months, we saw the methane go up from this background level of about seven-tenths of a part per billion mm -hmm. to uh, seven to nine parts per billion. And the average was about 7.5 parts per billion. Just to give you a sense of uh, what that means, in the Earth's atmosphere, we're approximately 2,000 parts per billion of methane. Mm. So this is a relatively small amount, but to see it there. Uh, so the spikes were about 10 times higher than this low-lying background that we're seeing for all, all the time. And then the question is, well, you didn't ask me that question, but I'll go on if you don't mind. Yeah, please. Uh, so what is this? What does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean? Where right. does it come from? one can explain is so small that we can explain it by a number of different ways. But we've kind of narrowed it down, pretty much narrowed it down actually, to three possible sources. And any one of them can explain it. It could be a combination of those three. And there's the, um, the breakdown of the organic material on the surface by the sunlight, by, by the ultraviolet part of the sunlight. And that organic material is always coming into Mars from outside. It's the interplanetary dust particles from, you know, particles and micrometeorites or asteroids. Those are it's like cosmic dust. Mm -hmm. And that's coming into the Earth's atmosphere, too. It comes onto all planets. And so that stuff falls onto the surface, and the sunlight breaks it down, and that can give you this very low-lying background that we're seeing. Uh, but that cannot explain the high values that we mm -hmm. these 10 times higher spikes. And for that, you need something else. And uh, there are only two ways you can do it. And one is biology, and the other one is by a process known as serpentinization, which is a reaction between water and rock. It could 
be a combination of those two. Um, so with biology, the microbes will utilize the carbon in the form of carbon dioxide or carbon monoxide from the atmosphere or any carbon that might be in the rocks. And then in the presence of water, they turn it into methane. This is the same kind of process that occurs on the earth when the microbes or the bacteria are turning, making methane on the earth. Mm -hmm. uh, the the non-biological process, the serpentinization process, actually is a two-step process. So in the first step, first step the, the, it's, it's a water-rock reaction. In the first step, certain type of rocks, and they're called olivin or pyroxene, they're common rocks on Mars, and they're pretty common on the Earth, too. Uh, they're rocks that contain minerals like iron, magnesium, uh, chromium. And the reaction of these rocks with water gives rise to hydrogen, and that hydrogen then combines with, with carbon in whatever form and forms methane is a kind of complicated process, but this is the gist of it. Mm -hmm. And that process occurs in the Earth's oceans, for example, in the hydrothermal vents. Uh, you know, this is a common process that goes on. And so either biology or the uh, water rock reactions can produce these uh, spikes, or it could be a combination of the two. And that's what we have narrowed it down to now. Well, it's like we're so close yet so far. We're, we're like tantalizingly close to figuring this out. Um, in your opinion, what do we need to do? Do we need to get another robotic mission up there with some more, some different kind of technology on board to solve this, or is it, is it going to require boots on the ground, a manned mission? Right, that's exactly. Healthy rover. Unbelievable. How long? I mean, what was the lifespan that rover supposed to be? Well, you know, we're done with the so-called prime mission. Uh, prime mission. Right. Two Earth years, and we're now well into the third year. That's beautiful. At Mars, and the rover is healthy, and all our instruments are very healthy. So fantastic. We're not, we're not even done with the methane measurement. But, uh, so at this point. Um, you know, there, there are a number of things we're doing, but we keep searching for methane. And this enrichment technique that I talked about earlier, yeah. where we use both the mass spectrometer and the tunable spectrometer, is a really powerful experiment uh, because we can enrich the gas by uh, 20 times uh, compared to if we were just doing the tunable spectrometer experiment. So we keep searching for methane, but if the methane amount goes up by another factor of four or five, like it becomes tens of parts per billion, mm -hmm. uh, which may be the case sometime. We don't know um, because we've seen, you know, we've only seen this thing over a two-month period. But if it's there in one place, uh, we might see it again. And, I, you know, I have expectations that we're going to see it again sometime. And if the amount that, uh, that comes off is like, 30 to 40 parts per billion, about four to five times larger than what we're seeing now. We can make the measurements of the isotopes, and that's very important. Uh, so methane has got a light carbon, which is mass 12, if you would, and hydrogen is mass 1. Um, and then it has an isotope, which is carbon 13, so it's CH4 with either carbon uh, 12, 
uh, or carbon-13. Um, so when you look at a methane molecule, it contains both, but the heavier isotope is about 1% of the lighter one, so mm -hmm. it's more difficult to detect. But this instrument is capable of detecting it if we have right amount. So mm -hmm. if we got four to five times as much methane at some point, then we can make the measurement of the light isotope versus heavy isotope. And that ratio is really important because for life as we know it on Earth, there's a deficiency of heavy isotopes. So if you look at organic molecules, the amino acids and proteins, all mm -hmm. the building blocks of life, the plants, animals, humans, you'll find there's a deficiency of the heavy carbon in all these molecules, the organic molecules. Because as life evolved, uh, it was a lot easier to combine light isotope, light carbon with light carbon in the chemical, biochemical reactions. And so over time, the lighter isotope built up and, and the heavy isotope was not building up as much. So there is a deficiency of heavy carbon. That means that this ratio, uh, the light carbon versus heavy carbon, is really important to make measurement of. And if you got, you know, another spike, which is four to five times larger, then we will be able to make measurement of the light isotope to heavy isotope. And if it comes out to be um, isotopically light methane, that would be another indication that we're moving in the right direction of, <laughs> of uh, possible life. And, you know, again, to, to emphasize, methane alone isn't going to tell right, us right. where there is life. I mean, you've got to have the right conditions. And fortunately, in Gale Crater, the conditions are right, you know, in the sense that life as we know it requires at least three things, and those three things are essential, and that's presence of liquid water, and there's plenty of evidence that Gale Crater had liquid water uh, that's required for biochemical reactions to go on and for transport of the nutrients. And you need nutrients, and the five elements are important. They're schnooks, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, and sulfur. And we see all of those in Gale Crater. And then you need energy, which can come from the sunlight or it can come mm -hmm. from chemical reactions. So all those uh, environmental conditions are there. Nutrients are possibly are there, as we know from the observations done with curiosity. And if you find that methane is isotopically light, we're moving in the right direction. Okay. Now I've taken a few questions from my, my, my readers on the social networks. And I had a question. Somebody wanted to know... Um, if these spikes, if it is indeed biological in nature, could it be like an extinct microbe, something that's been, you know, beneath the surface that's releasing this methane gas? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, methane can be stored, mm. and it can be stored in what are known as clathrates. Uh, clathrates are like um, molecular cages in ice. Think of it as ice with pockets of air in it. Mm -hmm. And so methane can be can be sequestered or can be uh, trapped in these pockets uh, of ice, the pockets inside the ice, and they're called clathrates. And you, the clathrates can last for a long time. You know, they, they have to be, to be destabilized. 
stabilized for for gas to escape from the clatterage. So if methane was produced in the past, which is quite likely uh, in, in if, if uh, microbes were present or if any bio or any other process was going on to produce methane, like the serpentization of water rock reaction process, that it could be trapped in those clatterates and for billions of years, mm. and they're subsurface, and then from time to time, you know, there 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 is of clatterates by whatever you know mechanical stress or some small changes in temperature or by impacts from outside. And that can destabilize the clathrates, and then the gas will escape from those those clathrates, and it'll go through cracks and fissures. So it could very well be something that happened in the past, and it could be biological, for that matter, uh, or it may not be. But yes, indeed, a hmm. process could have taken place in the past, and then it'll be stored, and then it's released uh, now, for example. Okay, another question I had. Um, this is, you, you wanted to know? Please ask your guests. Please ask your guests on a scale of one to ten. One being no life on Mars, and ten being most certainly life on Mars. What number would you put on it? I would put five. I think it's a fifty-fifty chance at wow. this point because uh, um, because you know previously many years ago before Curiosity. We had 10 different mechanisms by which we could produce methane. Now we nailed it down to two. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so we're getting close. Wow. Uh, we're getting close. What, what? That brings me, I, know I didn't completely answer your last question. Do we have to go with humans and other missions to Mars? I and mean, uh, as I was saying, that uh, we're not completely done with, with right. this mission. This question, you, know, you might have touched on this a little bit in your opening. Um, this person, he said, will there be able? I'm sorry, will we be able to tell the origins of this methane, or will that require a manned mission? I mean, we kind of, we pretty much know. Are we pretty certain it's, it's, you know, was it introduced by meteorites, maybe, or is this born on Mars, or what do you think? relatively sure that the, the surface of Mars is probably too hostile for any kind of microbial life, or is it possible, or is it more likely if there is anything there, it's beneath, underneath the surface? Yeah, I'm of the opinion that if there is any life 
today that's uh, underground. And the two reasons why I say that is, uh, indeed, the surface of Mars is highly oxidized. It's, it's just the, the atmosphere is very thin. It's like, you know, if you're floating in a balloon at about 35 miles above the surface of Earth, that's the kind of air you have on the surface of Mars. Huh. So the atmosphere is thin. That means the radiation from space is beating down on the surface uh, constantly. And that radiation is in the form of uh, the ultraviolet light from the sun, is in the form of cosmic rays, which are high-energy particles. And the high-energy particles actually penetrate down to a few meters below the surface. The other reason that is even more important is that for life as we know it, she required liquid water. Mm. And there is no liquid water on the surface of Mars. The surface of Mars is, is has ice, and but there's no liquid water. And there are indications that from time to time there might be some thaw taking place, and you might get some t uh, temporary uh, presence of liquid water. But but there's no um, no evidence of that. You know, firm evidence that that's happening. But in any event, you need you know, uh, sustain liquid water for a while to, mm -hmm. to be able to have life. And surfaces is ice. And But on the other hand, as you go into the interior of, uh, of Mars, and, and just like in the case of the Earth, the temperature increases. And we know there is liquid, but there is uh, ice beneath the surface of Mars as well. There's permafrost. So there are models which tell us that if you go two kilometers or, you know, about a mile and a half to about 20 miles beneath the surface, that's where the liquid water table is going to be. And that is essential for life as we know it. Mm -hmm. You need liquid water. So if there is life on Mars today, it needs to be, it will be underground because you, you do need that uh, presence of liquid water. You know, there's talk about this man mission there's there's people applying to go on this one-way trip. You you mentioned a minute ago about the the radiation um, factor. I wouldn't want to do that trip. Um, as, as curious as I am, but I, I mean, I've, I'd love to go to Mars, be able to come home. But a one-way trip um, with the radiation that that the planet encounters, plus the 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 trip there, the radiation, um, that would be a problem, wouldn't it, for for any kind of human settlement there now? Uh, yeah, at the moment, so. You know, on Curiosity, we had an instrument to, to do precisely the radiation measurements. Yeah. That was the only instrument that was on from the time of launch to the time we got there. It's called a radiation detector, or RAD. Uh, and that uh, instrument measured the radiation all the way to Mars, and then, of course, it's measuring radiation now on the surface of Mars. So with that, we have a pretty good idea about the kind of radiation the humans are going to be exposed to. And that's, uh, that's pretty serious. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, a lot of work will need to be done in terms of technology development. And there are some models that indicate that the radiation is serious, but depending on the short flight time, if the flight time is really short, that if you got there in, say, four to six months and came back in four to six months, that humans might be able to survive. 
Yeah. Take that much radiation. But it's 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 on the borderline. Yeah. It's even even with a short trip. I look at it as a suicide mission, honestly. It, it's it's a very it's pretty crazy, but anyway, it's just getting off topic. And I know you you're into methane. I wanted to talk to you. Let's 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 leave Mars for a second, and let's fly to Titan. Um, Titan really fascinates me, um, especially when that European probe um, actually landed there, and we got some photos. Apparently, there's lakes of methane on that on there on that moon, right? Oh, that's great. Well, so uh, the, the detection of the lakes is done with the radar instrument yep. on, on Cassini spacecraft. Uh, so Cassini is in orbit around, uh, around Saturn, and so it has been uh, making close flybys and even from a distance. So uh, we can look at, with the radar, we can look at the surface and we can good place for a smoker to be. <laughs> well, smokers will do just fine on Titan. Okay. There's no, there's no oxygen there. That's right. Okay, so no fire. Got you. So, but they will not do just fine uh, in that atmosphere. That's a different story. Right. But there's no oxygen, so they're not, they're not going to burn up Titan. <laughs> Hmm. That is really fascinating. So, yeah, indeed, in, 
preservation process, the water rock reaction, because Titan also has water, um, which is all frozen, but inside there might be liquid water. Hmm. And in the beginning, Titan was warm because all planets, you know, they were getting bombarded by debris from the uh, time of formation, so they were hot. And so Titan had water, which was in contact with the rock, and this water rock reaction could have produced methane. So that's another story on how methane got produced on Titan, or was it brought directly as methane from this uh, uh, nursery in which Titan was born in, around Saturn. Uh, but methane should be there, and it's there, it's in huge quantities, and there's presumably a lot of methane that's tied up in the interior also, the interior of Titan. So, you know, on, on Titan, methane cannot last very long. It's just, it's a big moon, but it's still a small object. Mm. So methane is constantly being destroyed in the atmosphere and uh, by the sunlight, um, the sun's ultraviolet radiation. And it, is, it takes about 30 million years to destroy all the methane on Titan. So 30 million years seems like a long time, but, you know, Titan has been around for four and a half billion years. Yeah, yeah. So um, once you destroy, it's a very fascinating story, once you destroy methane, then nitrogen begins to condense uh, because it, the atmosphere becomes and the surface becomes really cold because methane provides this uh, uh, aerosols in the atmosphere, hydrocarbon haze, and that keeps the Titan atmosphere warm enough for nitrogen to stay in gas phase. Hmm. Uh, but if methane is destroyed, then uh, the atmosphere becomes cold and nitrogen begins to turn into liquid droplets and rain of nitrogen on Titan. Wow. <laughs> but, but when you do the inventory of how much methane should have come to Titan by looking at the original material, there's a lot of methane in Titan that's tied up in the interior that would outgas from time to time and will replenish the methane that's getting destroyed in the atmosphere. So I think methane is going to be around on Titan longer than the solar system. <laughs> <laughs> I, I calculate that it's, uh, it's about 5 to 10 billion years supply of methane that's Jeez. tied up in the interior of Titan. It's a fascinating place. Okay. Oh, it's absolutely, absolutely yeah. Okay, two more things, and I'll let you go. I know you're a busy guy. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on Europa. I know this is kind of getting away from the methane thing, but just just to, just to get your thoughts, because Europa is another place that really fascinates me with the possibility of an ocean underneath the ice. Um, it just looks really cool too. It's like a play, great place for us to go one day. Uh, can you touch on Europa a little bit? Is there, is there a possibility of some life maybe down beneath the surface? Well, you know, the, the central thing to life as we know it is liquid, liquid water. Right. And Europa has a, a good possibility of liquid water beneath its icy surface. Or it's not just icy, but uh, thick ice surface. Right. So at least one major condition or major requirement for life uh, would be satisfied. We still have to confirm it, but all the all the models, all the observations that we've done without actually having gone to that liquid layer seem to indicate that there's liquid water beneath this ice surface of Europa. 
in the area. So that provides the nutrients, the NOx, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, sulfur. Uh, those are essential for life as we know it. So most likely there are organics, there are nutrients that are available in the interior. And then you need energy. So not much sunlight is going to get down to first to, to Europa. It's too far from the sun. Mm -hmm. And then there's thick ice layer, so there's not much sunlight getting there. But there's chemical energy. And that chemical energy uh, could su uh, suffice for mm. uh, for the energy that we use. So all three conditions are most likely going to be satisfied. Uh, that you know makes it very uh, very appealing object uh, for searching for life. Good stuff. Okay, last thing: uh, extrasolar planets. We're finding more and more of them. Um, we're getting a little bit better, a little bit better as each year goes by. We're getting better at finding planets that are that are you know um, part of the solar systems out there. Um, can we see methane in any of these? So that's a really good question. Yeah. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was actually giving a lecture at the Copley Institute of Theoretical Physics in Santa Barbara, and uh, kind of touching on this uh -huh. question because that's a, you know what you asked is exactly the kind of question we are beginning to ask for these exosolar planets. So there are about uh, you know, two thousand confirmed exoplanets right now. Wow. And that includes all the big planets, right. Jupiter-sized. And there are uh, probably the Kepler spacecraft uh, satellite that's in Earth orbit. Uh, we have, uh, you know, maybe 2,000, I don't know the exact number at this point, um, possible candidates. And then there are um, about a dozen Earth-sized planets. Hmm. So they're putting 
all this crud into the atmosphere. Uh, so uh, the technology needs to develop some more before we are able to find mm -hmm. gases that exist. What's going to happen in the next 20 years? Do you think? Let's go back to that last my, my my reader's question. One to ten. One being we will not know anything. Ten being we will have we will be able to say yes, we're not alone. In 20 years, do you, what do you think we will be in 20 years? Well, that's a that's a loaded question. About <laughs> are we alone? I mean, that's a question we all want to know. Right. Yeah, you'll be involved sooner or later with, with methane, looking for that. They come here first. Maybe they'll come here first and say hello. Yeah, of course. That'd be great. We're ready to say hello to them. Absolutely. Doctors, thank you so, so much for doing this. It was really interesting. I hope my questions were, uh, were you know, acceptable to, to somebody on your level. Uh, we, we, we did our best on our end. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. All right. I appreciate it. Maybe we'll get you back on sometime. Thanks so much.